Hello and welcome to the More Mando Show, the show that brings you more Mando after the show. This is our first episode. It is our episode zero. We're going to discuss our biggest unanswered questions from season one as we prepare to go into season two and then look for a after show recap discussion episode every Friday after the show goes live. So, I am one of your hosts, Clayton, joined, as always, by the child, Corbin. Hey. (laughs) Wasn't expecting that. (laughs) I know, I just pulled it out. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also joined, as always, by Tim. If anybody's the child, it's me. I'm like... (laughs) baby-faced he's got the big beard going on uh but hey what's going on guys i was on the spot and i was like well we do i do nicknames so what am i gonna do and i was like the child and those well now i don't have anything for tim so definitely (laughs) now craving some chalky milk it is what it is and unfortunately not with us tonight but we'll be on uh some if not all the podcasts uh another host named micah will be joining us uh for the official first episode um and he'll be a, another voice you hear because tim's gonna be going on vacation and won't be in some of these so yeah maybe i'll drop like a bonus episode or two because i'm going to disney world during the show's run there's going to be all kinds of cool mandalorian shit out there um so yeah i'm excited for a vacation and i'll be sure to take a lot of pictures and we can post them to the website sweet good deal and before we jump into it this is a the Nerdosphere production. You can find all of things regarding the Nerdosphere at thenerdosphere.com. So, tonight we're going to discuss our biggest questions going into season two. Let's start with Tim. Yeah, so I have a lot of questions, um, but I really want to focus on my main question, which I think could dominate this podcast the the main question that i have is trying to understand how the dark saber that we saw at the end of the finale comes into play this season mm-hmm. uh, i'm pretty lucky we talk a lot you guys know a lot more about star wars than i do the extent of my knowledge has been the movies and and now the mandalorian never really got into clone wars or the comics or anything else but apparently the Darksaber is a huge deal to the universe. So I'm hoping that during this podcast, you guys can take some time and really break it down for anybody who has not gone through the Clone Wars or know the backstory about the Darksaber. Sure. Yeah. We'll jump into that. Yeah. Uh, Corbin, what are some of the biggest unanswered questions that you're looking forward to getting hopefully answered, maybe answered in season two? Um, it's a pipe dream because it kind of seems like it might just be the the narrative thread of the entire show. But we know that Mando is taking the child back to his kind, whether that means his race or other potentially surviving Jedi. Because uh, I, I don't remember her name, unfortunately. But the woman in charge of their... The armor. The armor. She... Uh, seem to be more referencing Jedi specifically when in in the context of her saying, take him back to his kind. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, uh, 
I mean, we're we're assuming that that's going to be the bulk of the motivation for the story. What's going to be progressing them from adventure to adventure in this season is we got to find clues to get closer to. Which could possibly be the introduction to the the Rupert Ahsoka that will be in the the season. Correct. Yeah, that would make the most sense, probably. Because this would be this version of Ahsoka would be the furthest out in the future, right? Because this this yes. is after Rebels, so we mm-hmm. haven't seen her since Rebels. Correct. Yeah, or and it's actually for her is a fairly big jump because Rebels ends kind of during um, a New Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, or like right at the start, but kind of during. So we haven't seen uh, Ahsoka since. And the last time we saw Ahsoka in Rebels, she was with. There was an undetermined amount of time jumped in the finale. I'm going to assume it was jumping to the Rebellions one because they're now moving on to like another thing. And I don't think they would have done that in, until after the Rebellion was over. Yeah. But her and Sabine were, it, it was insinuated that they're going to go look for Ezra. Who's lost in who's the lost region. in the, the Uncharted region. region. And there have been rumors about Ezra in this season too. So I'm just kind of excited to see how um, the richer lore of the Star Wars universe gets fleshed out and le- legitimized or realized in this live action property. Yeah. Uh, which I'm very excited. Uh, so that is super exciting because we've got people. Uh, well, Tim just mentioned it. He's not watched uh, much of the Clone Wars. Hasn't watched Rebels, uh, so he is not as aware as somebody who's uh, watched these shows or devoured comic books or read novels. Uh, so I completely agree. It's going to be super exciting to see that stuff start making it into the mainstream instead of just being on the fringe. And while I think Clayton and I both agree that we would uh, encourage any of you who are fans to dive into that material, that's why this podcast is going to be a great home for you, because you don't necessarily have to, because we'll make sure you understand what it all means. Yep. That's why I'm most excited about it. I, I'm a dad. I work full-time. I don't have time to go through it um, while Mandalorian's airing, and there's no chance that I'm going to pause watching The Mandalorian to get caught up on the hundreds of hours of things that I've missed out on. So I'm excited. I'm excited to learn from you guys and for us to uh, go through season two together. Cool. All right, you Clayton, unanswered questions? I do have a few. Or anticipations? I do, I do. So um, obviously we have uh, Boba Fett rumored to be in it. We know that in new canon, um, Boba Fett did survive, um, or it's insinuated that he survived because uh, his armor is found outside of the Sarlacc pit. Um, so I'm interested to see if that's true and if it is how he's going to uh, play a part because we all know, well, you may not know, he's not actually a Mandalorian. He's a and his armor is Dura Steel, not Beskar. Exactly. He's a faker daker. Django was a faker mm-hmm. daker, and Boba's a faker daker. So that's straight from George Lucas's mouth. If anybody listening to this has any doubts about that, and they confirm it in the Clone Wars show. Yep. They outright say he's not. Um. 
So I'm interested in that. Uh, Ahsoka, he, I love Ahsoka. I think she's probably my favorite Star Wars character. She's she's gone from why are they doing this to this is the <laughs> right. Best, this is the best character ever created. Um, so I'm anxious to see if that's true. Which, for all accounts, it seems to be legit. Like we we have articles that say Disney Plus has confirmed Rosario Dawson has been cast. Um, and we can only assume that that's because she's going to be Ahsoka. Um, the spurred boots that we see at the end of, um, I'm, I keep blanking on the episode name, but it's the episode where, uh, Mando is on Tatooine and he and that other, uh, newbie bounty hunter go hunting the assassin. Maybe it's called mm-hmm. the assassin. Um, and then at the very end, we see spurred boots walk up to her dead body, and we still don't know who that is. So it's heavily rumored that that character is going to be who Timmy, Timothy Oliphant is playing, and people believe that he's playing uh, a character who acts as a self-appointed sheriff of Tatooine. So definitely right in line with that Timothy Oliphant's uh, yeah, wheelhouse as far as Western vibes go. So it'll be cool to see him. Um, that would mean that Tatooine's going to play at least another role in an episode, if not a bigger role going forward. We always come back to Tatooine. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, let me look at my notes here. I actually wrote down some. Let me make sure I didn't. Oh, uh, Dr. Pershing. The Doctor. I, I would have completely forgot about him if I hadn't pulled up my notes real quick. Uh, we just talked about it. Yeah, we just I forgot about, about it before it. the show. Um, Doctor Pershing is the Doctor from the first uh, episode, first couple episodes. Um, he's the one who everybody's flipping out because he's got a patch on his shoulder. Uh, that's the Camino clone uh, facility patch, um, and he's the one who was super interested in making sure that the child was delivered alive um, mm-hmm. and he protected it um, so it'll be interesting to see if we get any more from him um, yeah um, more specifically oh here's a big thing that I don't know if we've even talked about all the people that were guarding the child in episode one or two who were those people who hired them why was the child there, and why was it being protected by 30 men? Oh, yeah. I don't hear anybody talking about that. It's just kind of like, and maybe it's just a plot device, but to me it's an unanswered question that I maybe we'll get more of. I don't know. Because it was the the Imperials were wanting to, exactly. to get it. Yeah. yeah, and what was stopping the Imperials from... I don't know if that planet was just outside of the remnants control this this particular imperial remnants control, uh, but why wouldn't they just go and get it themselves? So that's a good point. Uh, it I almost am scared to go down the rabbit hole because I don't want to to dog anything. Because I feel like that first season is pretty perfect. But you know, the beginning of the season does kind of paint a picture that the imperial is stretched thin and are in dire straits. But when Moff Gideon arrives, it's like whipping out the PP, and it's like. Well, like, he he definitely is keeping all the pretties for himself, so that could explain that away. Well, I guess my point is like if Moff had an interest in the kid, right? If he so, really wanted it, yeah, yeah, you're he right. could have 
So it's unless that means unless the plot device is something that we'll learn later. The reason why Moff couldn't do that is because he was doing something else that he felt was equally as important, right. which is equally as intriguing if yeah. that were the case. So we'll see. And then the final thing, which is more of a lore situation. Um, so if you're familiar with Clone Wars Rebels, you know that um, Mandalore as a planet went through a period where it was new Mandalore. They turned their back on their warrior ways. They were pacifists. They didn't wear their helmets. Um, and even the Death Watch, uh, who was a small remnant that held to their warrior ways through this new Mandalore uh, peaceful period, they were free with taking off their helmets. Um, but this new tribe that's emerged uh, since uh, the Purge and since the Empire has dominated and then fallen uh, is has added this don't remove your helmet mantra. Uh, and all we know about this particular sect or whatever you want to call it of belief for Mandalore is that they're called the tribe. The tribe. So I'm interested in a lore aspect. When did that start? Why did it start? Has this just been a small sect that always did this and now it's just because there's not many left it's grown in dominance or am i being too much of a nerd and i'm never going to get this answer because it doesn't matter <laughs> in the grand scheme of things i don't know <laughs> is it possible that it could be something that's just tied back to the fact that lucas films is trying to build uh a new world of content in the older public that maybe is just an ancient, like a truly an ancient way from right, yeah. the older yeah. public that they're just revitalizing. Yeah. I don't know. So I think it'll also question. be interesting this year to see how much, how in tune with the force the child actually is. Yeah. Right? Like we, we know the mission is to return the child to his people and whether that's more of his species or more Jedi, like Corbin alluded to, that's the mission, but we don't know what he knows. We've seen him use the force in key moments. So he definitely has an understanding. It'll be interesting to see if that becomes a bigger part of season two moving forward. Cause if he understands what he's doing, it's a complete game changer for the show. Yeah. Yeah. We know from still established Canon that Yoda's race is just inherently stronger in the force. And I would reckon that what we're seeing with the child is that it's it's as effortless as breathing for him when he's doing what he's doing. Right. It's just an aspect of their species to just to just naturally do it. Yeah. Okay. Do we have any other things we're looking forward to unanswered questions before we uh, kind of dive into Tim's initial question of the Darksaber? just looking forward for real tv to come back covid's been tough seems like everything's been canceled mandalorian is saving us right now it I'm really super is excited i got i'm so happy that favreau was already writing season two while season one was airing and they just immediately started filming yep like we all we all joked that in 2019 you know the child saved us and 
Mandel's gonna they're I mean, it's gonna they're gonna do it again. It's gonna be like a bright spot at the end of the year. Oh yeah, and I and I don't want to like count our chickens before they hatch, but with how big of a phenomenon the first season of the Mandalorian was with the baby Yoda memes, the, uh, everybody talking about it every week, just it being this huge, like the numbers it put up, it was the most watched show. Like it just put up silly numbers until the Witcher came out. Um, and everybody watched that for like a week. Um, and then went back to the Mandalorian, but, uh, with no, with literally no other competition, Mm-hmm. What is this gonna do, pop culturally? <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm most excited to see. <laughs> they they change the skin in the, they change the game as far as uh, weekly release content and made a great argument for why that's important. Like mm-hmm. I never thought that I would ever again defend that method of release, but now I do because of Mando, and I feel like I'm just gonna my froth will be exponentially. Now that's coming back because I've been wanting it for so long and I have to wait every week. <laughs> yep. Just makes that desire much more. So, okay. Um, anything else? I don't think so. To okay. be true, man, honestly, I, it'll all eventually come out. So, yeah, true. The Darksaber. Mm-mm-mm. The Darksaber, as we all now know, is a lightsaber with a unique hilt looks more like a sword hilt and it has a black blade black with white outline blade and it it's shaped like a sword it's not the the typical round rod shape it's shaped like a sword created uh, by the only mandalore or mandalorian to ever be in the jedi academy yes. tar vizsla in long long time ago land way long time ago now you might be getting ready to say this clayton but does dark saber predate the proto saber or is it no, no after no. the proto saber before the lightsaber yes yeah it is a lightsaber it's not a proto saber was a lightsaber that was uh more crude it so had, she had a generator it had a cable that went to your to a backpack generator um, so this is not a proto saber. It's just a extremely unique lightsaber. But like Corbin said, it was made by the one and only uh, Mandalorian to become a Jedi, and he used his Jedi abilities and the symbol of he used this saber as a symbol to unite the clans. Uh, and this was the first time that Mandalore like united because Mandalore is, is, uh, they're a warrior race. Uh, they were warring clans and then, uh, Tar Vizsla united them. Uh, the dark saber was passed down. Um, no, I'm sorry. There's a period of time where it was at the Jedi. Yeah. During the, there is a period of time where the Mandalorian Empire and the Republic, it might have been the Old Republic at that time, either way it's still a Republic, uh, they go to war, uh, Tar Vizsla is killed, the Jedi reclaim the lightsaber under the pretense that this is a Jedi artifact, and they keep Not it Mandalorian. at- Mandalorian. Right, and they keep it at the Jedi Temple for some time, 
Um, the war continues or sparks back up. The Mandalorians and Jedi have a long history of not really liking each other and fighting each other. And the Mandalorians are able to reclaim it. Um, descendants of Vizsla are able to reclaim it. And then it's passed down his line for tons and tons of time. And we finally get to where I briefly mentioned earlier, Mandalore for a time turns their back on their warrior ways. They're called New Mandalore. They're peaceful. They join the Republic. Um, all this kind of stuff. But there is a sect led by um, pre Vesla. Uh, who's the leader of a group called Death Watch, who maintain their warrior ways. So, still in this Vesla line, but now they're not in charge because they're pacifists. Well, along comes a little person called Darth Maul. And he... Gets into a bunch of shenanigans. He ends up joining with Death Watch. Um, by this time, Maul has created his Shadow Collective, which is a group of different crime organizations, underworld organizations, and he's in charge of it. Um, he and the Death Watch take over Mandalore. Um and not to get too into the weeds, because if you've watched Clone Wars, you kind of know that this has happened, but eventually Maul kills pre Vesla, takes the Darksaber, and Maul has the Darksaber for quite some time. In fact, he has it all the way up until Rebels. So he has it from Clone Wars all the way up to um, almost... A New Hope. Okay. Um, during this time, he meets Ezra Bridger and the other cast members of Rebels, and uh, they have a few run-ins and adventures that involve each other, and Sabine Wren, who is the Mandalorian in the Rebels show, finds uh, and takes the Darksaber back from Darth Maul. And eventually, that becomes a, a pretty big plot piece in Rebels, because uh, the, Re the Rebels want to unite Mandalore and use them to fight against the Imperials. And their plan is to use Sabine and the symbol of the Darksaber to do that. So, this all leads up to this happening... But Sabine gives it to another Mandalorian named Bo-Katan, who is the sister of the Duchess who ruled Mandalore during the New Mandalore time. And she was a love interest of Obi-Wan, uh, the sister who's now dead. So Bo-Katan is the last person that we know who had the Darksaber until we see it in Moff Gideon's hands at the end of episode 8 the end of season 1 in The Mandalorian so from 
the rebellion to now. I say now as in the Mandalorian. We don't know what happened to the Saber during that time. How did it change hands? We know that there's rumors of Bo-Katan being cast. No, she is. She is cast. She is 100% cast. Okay, so... That voice actress will be in the show. Yeah, and I'm trying to... I can't remember her name. I was going to look it up real quick. If you're a true nerd, you know from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. I'm not seeing it. I don't want to have any blank airtime. Uh, so if we know she's going to be in the show, but Moff Gideon has the Darksaber. So how did she lose it? Why does Moff Gideon have it? We know Moff Gideon has a past with Mandalorians because he knows Din Djarin's real name. Um, the Darksaber itself is as much a Mandalorian icon as their helmet. So it's... I imagine it's going to play a fairly big part going forward. Plus, it's just a representation of just, like, the ancient history of the Star Wars universe that we've still barely scratched at. Yeah. It had to be one of the most... Like, one of the moments you geeked out at the most when it happened. There's all these, like, iconic moments in the show where as a Star Wars fan, you're like, oh, yes! But seeing that Darksaber cut him out of the pod, that has to be up there. Oh, yeah. One of the most significant moments we saw. For me, it was... No, go ahead, finish him. Also, uh, we don't know if... We don't know who knows that he has the Darksaber yet because that was a very end scene. Like, it's presumed that he's dead. He crashes in his ship and then almost like an after credit scene, you see him cut out. So we don't know if the Mandalorians know that he has it. We don't know. We don't know at this point. So it's going to be an interesting thing to dive into in season two. Maybe that's what he was getting instead of getting the child. Yeah. We don't know how long he's had it. Um, so, and it being in the show, I think hints at not only are we going to see, this journey to find the Jedi or whoever with uh, the Mandalorian. But I hope that we're also going to see just this world of all Mandalorians like slowly start to expand. So. Yeah, yo. Hopefully it's as much of a plot device for the whole season as the search for Jedi. Just shows how smart the show is and how rich it has the potential to be. Like I, I would not have expected going into it for us to get this much into the weeds into season one. And when I say into the weeds, I mean in the best of ways. Um, I thought it was going to be a pretty straightforward, simplistic show, especially right out of the gate. It's like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a fun 30, 40 minute episode every week. And, um, but no, it's, it's, there is a clear vision and it's connected to lots of great star Wars lore. Yep. I think it's just what happens when the people who are in charge of the material grew up being such avid fans of the property, you know, an equally geekable moment to the dark saber, as far as like legitimizing the peripheral properties that are considered Canon, but the mainstream media 
or mainstream uh, fans don't watch was when Darth Maul was at the end of Solo. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a moment where you can no longer deny that Clone Wars isn't real because it shows that, you know, Darth Maul survived and lived and came into power with the crime syndicate. But that ultimately, even though it was legitimizing, was still a throwaway moment because it boiled down to Ron Howard taking over the project, that character not being established, and Ron Howard asked his son, who is a huge Star Wars fan, who would be a cool character to have here that fans would geek out about. And his son would be like, this is perfect timing for Darth Maul. Like, just make him the leader of the crime syndicate. And that's how it went in. Whereas the Mando is not just a love letter from John Favreau to Star Wars, but um, Dave Filoni, who writes the Clone Wars and Rebels, is helping Favreau with this show. So it's just bursting at the seams with Star Wars lore and nuggets. Yeah, Filoni is phenomenal. He is George Lucas's protege and everything George Lucas should have been. (laughs) If George Lucas hadn't gotten like obsessed with what he got obsessed with. Cocaine? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) Toys. He got obsessed with toys. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that does it for the first episode of the More Mando Show. The show where you can get more Mando after the show. We hope you are as excited about the return of the Mandalorian as we are. We hope all of our questions are answered. And we hope we get more because that's some of the best fun is uh, getting stuff like that. Little little snippets and teases. and That just means that the show is going to give us even more when there's more questions to be answered. So we'll see you in episode one. That'll release Friday after uh, Friday evenings, Friday night after the uh, premiere of the show. And we'll see you every week after that. Have a good one. This is the way I have spoken and all that. (laughs) Bye. Later.